So we've been working our way through Second Timothy, and as I kept reading that and reading that, it just seemed like this was the thread or the theme that we wanted to follow on that was being faithful to your whole journey. Paul's journey is about to end. He's writing this letter to help Timothy have a faithful journey. And even the other day, I was just wrestling through that. Let's talk about what your journey is and, and where your journey's going and what it means to be faithful in this journey. Being faithful means that at some point, your journey started. At some point, in, if you have a journey with Jesus, you understood that God was a holy and just and right God and that you were not holy and you had done things that were not right and that someday you were going to stand before him for judgment. When you got saved, that had to be part of the message that you heard because that's the gospel. Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's what Paul says the Thessalonians that believed. In a couple times, John will write it. He's going to write it in the gospel. He's going to say it again in the uh, in his first letter, he's going to say, the one that has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And so there was that moment when you understood, I am in deep trouble with God. But he tells me that his Son has taken everything I've ever done and paid for that so that I could be made right with God. And, and, and I want that, God. I want, I want that gift. I'm not going to try to earn it anymore. I'm not going to think that I'm good enough. Like, like was shared up here, I'm going to trust that what Jesus has done for me is enough. I trust him to be my Savior. That was part of the start of your journey. If you came to him because your life was blowing up and you needed peace, that's great as long as that was still part of your journey because that's when you peel apart everything, that's salvation is trusting that, that you were under judgment and that Jesus could deliver you from judgment. And then you understood that this is not just about getting ready for that moment when you die and you stand before God. This is a whole life journey. And you understood that he didn't just pay for your sins to give you, to give you forgiveness, but that you understood who he was. He's Lord of the universe. He's Lord of all. That's why they call him Lord and Master and, and, and why he says, follow me. And you understood this is no longer your life to decide how you're going to live it, what you're going to do, and what's right and wrong, and, and what's going to be okay for you. You understood, no, no, no. If Jesus is Lord, he tells me what to do. If he's Lord, then he's given me a book that tells me where life is and what's the life that pleases him and what my life is supposed to be about. Somewhere along your journey, you understood that, I hope, that this is not your life. The scriptures come right out and say that. You've been bought with a price, and so glorify your God with your body, which is his. He's purchased you. And then somewhere early, I hope you understood that he's not just left you on your own to do this, but that he's provided for you, but way beyond provided for you, he's commanded you to become a part of a local body, to become part of a local church, his church. That's his plan for you to grow and his plan for you to serve and for you to connect to people so that you can learn to love God and love people, which is the heart of God. And so he's just assuming and commanding that you're going to be deeply involved in the life of church. And so that's part of a faithful journey. And then his heart is that you use the way that he's designed you and he's used your story and you use the, the spiritual giftings that he's given you, spiritual abilities that you have that he gave to you so that other people can come to know Jesus as their savior and people can grow up in him, that you're connecting with people and you're connecting with the word, that you're just doing that. That is faithful to a whole journey. So just coming back, because it's been several weeks since... Since, uh, since we've been in 2 Timothy, and I was thinking, we need to almost sometimes backtrack to what is this about again? Because it, 
I can so easily slide into what I think is a faithful journey and, and not come back to, well, what does the word say is a faithful journey? Because it's so easy for, for us, and we seem like we're one of those areas you get divided in half. So many of us give ourselves a pass so easily. Well, yeah, I'm not really involved in church, but it's, it's been really busy or I've been hurt by church, whatever that is. We give ourselves a pass that, that, yeah, I know this is wrong. I shouldn't be doing it, but, you know, I'm in, in grace or whatever that is. And others of us give, give ourselves no break. We just live in constant guilt and condemnation, neither which is God's heart for us. So it just is good to come back to the word every now and then, you know, just to check, God, how am I? At the end of 2 Corinthians, Paul says, you need to examine yourselves, make sure you're really saved, because they were so off the rails in their, in their experience. So here in Second in Timothy, we're at the beginning of chapter 3, and all of that, because he, he wants to lay out for them that this journey is, is going to be rough. It's going to be rough because of where people are going and because of when we're living. I want to read Second Timothy 3, 1 to 9. And God says to us, but understand this. That's a command. You know, it's almost like saying, you better get this. You know, people say that to you recently or whatever. You're working on something or you've got a plan or you're wrestling about different options. Say, I don't know, but you better get this. That's God's heart to us. That in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Yeah, this journey is going to be rough. And he talks to Timothy about what's going to happen, what will be. He says, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. That's kind of an understatement, times of difficulty. And then you read what people are going to be like. That's a little more than difficult. Some translations have it. I think the King James says, in the last days, perilous times will come. Uh, other, other translation says, in the last days, terrible times will come. It's a, it's a word that just is pretty broad. It, it, it's used of violent times. It's used of things when everything's breaking out and getting really aggressive. Uh, it's just a time of, uh, of tumultuousness, of upheaval, and you get a sense of that in, the th in, in what follows this. He says to him, in the last days, terrible times are going to come, or there will be times of difficulty. So for some of you who are newer to Jesus, that's a new concept maybe, the last days. What are the last days? And, and I was thinking, and the reality of it is, we're living in the last days of the last days, waiting for the last day. So if you've studied your Bible, you know, if you understand how things are going to play out, you, you understand what all of that is. We believe the way the Scripture speaks and a lot of how we understand how the end is going to play out, 
uh, we understand from the book of Daniel. And, and Daniel has this vision of 70 weeks that God has decreed for the nation of Israel to finish out their run, to finish out their history. The 69th then week ended on, on the crucifixion. It ended when Jesus was crucified. A week was seven years. And a man calculated that out from the decree to return to Jerusalem when they were in exile until Jesus was until Jesus was crucified was 69 times 7. And then there was just this one last seven-year period to finish the 70 weeks of, uh, of Daniel, as we know it, the last, the last period. We think the last days, we understand, starts with the arrival of Jesus on the scene. It's the last thing that God needs to do before he brings everything to an end and, and redoes everything. He doesn't really restore it. He just recre- He's going to recreate it. And so when Jesus arrives on the scene, you have the beginning of the last days. He's going to speak of the last days as though they're coming and the last days as though they are. When he, gets, when he meets with the disciples after he's resurrected and he says in Acts chapter 1, he's ready, he's ready to go back to heaven. He gives us this, this message. He says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and then out in Judea and Samaria and then to the end of the earth. And so he ascends, and they're all standing there looking at him, and this angel says to him, okay, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go to heaven. So that's the last day when Jesus comes back. Every eye will see him, Scripture says. They're standing there looking, you know, can you imagine that? You're just standing there. Are you kidding me? You know, because a few verses earlier they said, Lord, do we get the kingdom now? is this the end? And he says, not for you to know. You're going to be my witnesses. You go out there. Goodbye. And he floats to heaven, and they're staring, staring at that. Almost like when, you know, growing up, when the, the moon missions and these rock, the Gemini rockets were going up, and it was the coolest thing. You'd just watch your TV until you couldn't see anything, but you just kept watching. See, where is this rocket? And so there they are. They're watching Jesus, and he says he's coming back. And so we're in the last days, and we're waiting for the last day. I believe that first phrase, because as you understand some of the Bible's prophecy of what needs to happen that sets the stage for that last 70th week, you see a lot of that on the world scene right now. That just seems we really are in the last days of the last days. You know, we believe that, we believe that Jesus came, that he died, he rose, he rose, and now he's in heaven. So as, as I understand the, the Bible uh, unfolds things, the next event will be to happen will be that this time where God is not working with Israel, Romans, 7, uh, Romans 11 says God has kind of put Israel on the side, which is why most of us are not Jews. Most of the church around the world is not Jewish. It's Gentile because God has put the Jews on the shelf for this period. It's called the times of the Gentiles in Scripture. And that time will come to a close, and, and the church, as I understand it, is going to just be taken out of the world. And now God's plan goes back to Israel in what we know as the Great Tribulation. And this, this terrible period of seven years on the earth, the likes of which have never taken place. When you read Revelation, you're largely reading those seven years of the Tribulation period where, where God deals with an unbelieving nation of Israel. He deals with the world. The world tries to reject God once and for all. And then at the end, Jesus comes back visually and just puts an end to all the rebellion and sets up his kingdom of a thousand years and then at the end of a thousand years with jesus on earth ruling 
there's still a rebellion, which tells you just how twisted we are. To, we rebel against, you know, finally a good president or a good king of the earth. And there's a final rebellion, which is put down. And then there's final judgment before we all go into eternity. Eternity either with Jesus forever and ever and ever, or eternity without Jesus forever and ever and ever. So when Paul says to him, understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. He's speaking to Timothy about these coming days because ever since then to now, they understood Jesus could come at any moment, that that rapture could happen at any moment. And so you live ready. Uh, people say, you know, we need, to, we need to live like Jesus is coming tomorrow and plan like he's coming in 100 years, you know, in that sense. So that was going on for them. And yet he's also speaking to Timothy about things that are going on for them right now. These things are going to come, but the, this is how people are going to be, and this is how people are being right now, Timothy, and so this is how you need to relate to them. We live in the, I think the Vineyard Movement call, calls it, we live in the, na, the now and not yet. That's kind of where we are, what God is doing now, and that looks like kingdom things, but not yet. It's not the, it's not the fullness of the kingdom that's to come. And so in the last days where we are living, whether they are the last days or Pastor Ted and I were talking one time, and if this is not the last days of the last days, there has to be a massive reset because there are so many things that just seem th that are in place. But this is how people are going to be. In the last days, how do we live? Because that's pretty much what he's telling Timothy. How do you live and how do you serve in the last days? Well, he says to him, in the last days, you're going to need to be aware. You're going to need to be aware that it's going to really get bad. It's going to get rough, and people, people are going to lose restraint in some of, the, some of the things that were appropriate and right and that we just don't do. Though all those things are going to be gone. You know, one of the pressures on me in this message is not to explain to you what these words mean because they're pretty self-explanatory. People will be lovers of themselves. You know, that's being fulfilled every day. I, our phone plan was up a couple months ago, and my phone is having a hard time holding a charge, so I got, the new, I got a, a new phone, and they're showing me different cases, and they got the case with the little pop-out back. Why is that? Someone told me, so you can take a selfie. So now you can buy a case that helps you take a selfie, because the whole world is interested in what you're eating for dinner tonight, <laughs> and the whole world is interested in, in all of these things that you do. You know, my granddaughter Lily uh, knows the combination to our, uh, to our phones. She did. I wonder how she's going to work around the whole face recognition thing. But she, find, she would find our phones, take, take them off, and take about 15 pictures of herself with all kinds of expressions that are going to come to haunt her when she starts dating. <laughs> you know what that is? But we're just in a culture of where people just love themselves. And not so much the selfie thing, because I get that, and that's kind of fun. And, you know, my generation, if you're my age, don't do a selfie, because we look like we're staring at the thing, trying to figure out how to do that. And none of our smiles come out natural. Am I right? Am I right? You do. You just look like, you know. My, my brother-in-law does it really well. But me, Cindy and I, I always look at, and Cindy, because she's so compassionate, she looks like she's taking the picture because she's empathizing with me as I'm trying to take it. So now you've got two people that, that look like they don't, you know, look like they belong somewhere else, you know? <laughs> That's a safe loving yourself. We're watching people love themselves and work their whole life around them. 
And because of that, we're seeing other things that go on. All of these things, they kind of tie together. And some of them, Paul's going to come back around, do the same word, just looking at it different ways. They love themselves. You know, my dad, you know his story? He loved himself so much that he'd rather spend his time with women than with his four boys and his wife. That's loving yourself. You know, we're loving yourself. And so you see, he won't be in church because I'm going to do something that I like, that I like to do. So, you know, can we get real? So you're going to trade your once-a-week opportunity to tell Jesus Christ how great he is for something you want to do. You know, that's, you know, don't read the blanket thing because I celebrate when people are able to get away and get refreshed. But sometimes that's just loving myself, you know. This is an area really where, I, and as, I, as I was wrestling through that last night, just got this sense the Holy Spirit needs to just take this. If you can lean into him and say, God, you know, do I have an issue with this? One of the things that I was wrestling with the week is, who, who's he writing to? Are these people outside the church, you know, or are they inside the church? And it seems like they're inside the church. He's telling them how bad it's going to get inside the church. That's why he says they're going to work into the women in your church. And they're going to try to sway the women who are in your church, Timothy. You avoid them. You know, we'll I'll get to that in a minute. They're in the church. This is what the Holy Spirit did, was saying to me this week. He said, are they in or out? Are they inside the church or are they outside the church? And then I heard this voice, or are they you? Yeah. You know, that was me. I mean, when he said it, it was me which was more uncomfortable when I say, is it you? But whenever you come to scripture, you've got to be able to have that God, if this is me, point it out. Because remember, we're two parts, because I'm going to easily give myself a pass. Say, of course I love you. I don't love myself like this. But God, only you really know me. Or those of you that are going to take that and say, oh God, you're right, I love myself too much. I'm such a... Be careful and just lean in and let the Holy Spirit point that out to you. He will. He'll do that gently. He'll do it without condemnation because he will show you, you know, uh, the team talked about and Don prayed as Jesus is the good shepherd. He's going to point things out so that he can lead you to life and and not to condemnation. They're going to be lovers of themselves. They're going to be lovers of money. That is an American thing. And so the sacrifices we make so that we can be financially secure. The things we talk about, well, we just want to be financially secure. We want to be wise about the way we use money. Just want to provide for my kids. All of those things can be legitimate or they can be because we love money and what it brings to us. So they're going to be in that point. They're proud. This word proud is the guy who's always bragging of what he can do. The next word arrogant is more of a heart thing. This word proud originally, it meant the guy who went around and just had a potion and say, this potion can do whatever you need it to do. This, you got this problem, this is the potion. It's just a person that they always have what you need. They're always what you need. That is this person. It's a braggart uh, translated in some places. They're arrogant. They're abusive. Isn't there a culture? I mean, isn't that kind of the response of the whole Me Too movement is that finally... There was an abuse that was kind of pushed to the side that wasn't going to be pushed to the side anymore. Thank God. We're just living in an abusive culture. How is it normal for a parent to hit one of their children 
you know, and yet that's epidemic in our, in our culture. They're disobedient to their parents. I was reading in the Jewish and Roman world, that would have been a stunner. Because in the Jewish and Roman world, they were honor cultures. You honored your parents. You did not, you don't know what you're talking about. I don't have to do what you say. You are so unfair. All of these things that, that you go through in adolescence. I'm going to call DCF on you. You know, this is just the, the, the sign of the loosening of things as we move toward the end. They're ungrateful, unholy, heartless. Heartless is a word, the Greek word means without family love. Without family love. That you can just walk away from family. You can just walk, things that should be normal, normal emotion or normal ties for you to have within the family, they're just not going to be there. As mentioned, my dad could just walk away and talk about guilt, but not really show any guilt. And some of you have, have been on the wrong side of that, both ways. You've had someone that you loved and you were committed to just walk away. And some of you, you know, you've been open enough about your story, you were that person. And thank God you're not that person anymore. But he's speaking about the end times. He's speaking about Timothy's time. He's talking about something that's going to grow more and more, uh, more and more worse as things go on. There again, that's endemic. People that are just heartless. There is no family love. There is no family connection anymore. They're unappeasable. No matter what you do, it doesn't matter. This is the person in, in their culture that wouldn't sign a peace treaty. It wasn't that you couldn't give them enough terms. It was... It didn't matter what you did. They weren't signing. They didn't want peace. They just wanted things to keep going. I was talking to Pastor Ted this week. I said, you know, some people, they just seem like, remember that movie, The Bone Collector? I think of some people like they're wound collectors. Like they just pick, they've got these wounds. You've got these wounds and you're carrying them and, you know, you know they're not good for you, but they're there and, and you show them to us every now and you tell us about what happened. And then somebody says something or somebody does something or they don't do something, and there's another wound for you to pick up. So, so full disclosure, I'm driving in this morning and I've got the message in my mind and I'm thinking, in, I, so I go to turn on Cottage Street and this guy in an ambulance is at, you know, waiting to go on Berkshire. And so I'm coming, he's going, and I thought, okay, there's nobody behind me. I'll just go, and then he can go after me. He goes in front of me. And so I go around the corner, and I'm just looking, you know, I'm looking to see, is he going to catch my eye in his, in his, you know, side view mirror to see that I'm, I've got the what the heck look on my face. So I go around the corner, and he's not looking. I can't tell. It's too hard. I kept looking, and I almost drove into Rufus's old restaurant, <laughs> you know, just making sure. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit says to me, you're not a wound collector, you're an offense collector. <laughs> what do you do with that? I mean, it's not like you can argue with him when he's always right. The Holy Spirit is always right, always. And I thought, man, that is so true, because all week it's been, what are you doing? Oh, I can't believe you drive like this. You, oh, you're an idiot. You're, you know, all of these things, what am I doing? I'm collecting offenses. I was like, I'm such a good driver, and you are not. You're not either. You're not either. In fact, you're dumb. You're not. And I'm just carrying that. And so when I tell you some of you are wound collectors, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> you know, I'm not, It's not wounds, but some of you, that's where you are. He says the word unappeasable. 
because you just keep picking them up. You keep picking them up, and, and God's trying to get you to lay them down so that you can have life and joy. So slanderous. Somebody mentioned this is the word. It's the word we get devil, devil from. I was driving yesterday, and this guy in a motorcycle, as we're all just politely in line at the red light, this guy in a motorcycle just goes to the front of the line. That's another one I picked up that I had to drop this morning. <laughs> <laughs> On his back, he had Diablos. That's this word. So, and somebody pointed out, in the middle of this list is the devil because he's in the middle of all of this. All these things that are gonna describe our culture and that slip into church too easy, it's just his influence. It's just us allowing him to have influence. Without self-control, there's not gonna be no straight. People that are brutal, that's the word they'd use of animals. Not loving good things. Treacherous, that's people that are going to betray, going to be betraying each other. Reckless, people that are just, re, they just are spontaneous, you know. Well, I just had to do it, you know. They're, they rush into things, that's this word. They're reckless, they're swollen with conceit. And it's not so much, someone pointed out, not so much that they love pleasure more than God, they love pleasure instead of God. See that? Rather than, rather than. I mean, when, when I was young, we had all these commercials. You only go around once in life. Remember that? Grab all the gusto you can. That's this. You know, I'm, I'm here to have a good time, to enjoy this life. If I can serve God, if I can do some things for God, if I can fit God kind of in, I will. But, but I want to make sure I enjoy this. They want you to enjoy it. But let me tell you, our brothers and sisters in Iran, they're not so much enjoying this but they are finding joy, you know? So they love pleasure more than God. They have an appearance of godliness because they can sing all the songs and they can say all the words and they pray and they can quote the verses, but they deny its power. There is no power in them. If you turn over a page or so in your Bible or scroll down a little bit in your device, the next book of the Bible is, is Titus. And Titus hits on kind of the same thing. In Titus 1.16, Paul writes, he says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. You know, there's a sense where there are people in our church, like every church, you know, we're kidding ourselves if we don't think that there aren't, who, who can talk and use all of our language and can even talk about how, the day that they got saved, but there's nothing real. There's nothing real in them. And Jesus said, evaluate a person by their fruit. Is their life reflecting anything of Jesus? You know, you have times like Irish shared, and I appreciate that, you backslide, or where you kind of go on autopilot without realizing it. We all have those times. But if that's a larger part of your testimony, you have to backtrack to whether you really genuinely have the Holy Spirit in with you. I think that's an, that's an especially important uh, question for children that go up in Christian homes to make sure they're not just sliding on their parents' faith. I think that's really important for teenagers that go to Word of Life and have an emotional response to an invitation, but have nothing really of Jesus in their life when they're back in the reality of it. You don't want to be in that place where you appear, you appear enough to make yourself feel at peace when you're not going to be at peace at that great moment. So he says to be aware. The last days are going to be 
they're going to get rough, and so we need to be aware, and we need to call it what it is. That's what God has done here. I mean, in his word, he calls out people's names. He's going to do that all through Second Timothy, and we, and it's an area I struggle with so much. You want to be gracious. You want to give people opportunity. Sometimes we need to just call it what it is. This is what you're struggling with. This is what God says it is. This is, this is you know, how we see you in, in this body. God does that. You know, there's a place in, in Romans where God says, on that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. God knows all of these things. He knows who's, who fits here, and he knows what people Satan is going to try to slip into our church that will become disruptive and who aren't really of us. Like John says, they, they left us because they weren't really of us. If they'd been of us, they would have stayed. And so he, he, tells, he tells Timothy that we need to react to people like this God's way. And God's way of reacting to people that name the name of Jesus but are destructive to Jesus' purposes and don't reflect him and have no intent to, to change, to avoid them. It's the one command in this whole list, avoid such people. Veer away from them. So you have someone you're working with, and there's a huge difference from somebody that struggles with, I don't know where they struggle, loving themselves, with chasing money, with being proud, with disobeying their parents. There's a huge difference between somebody who struggles with that and, and lives in a sense of, God, please help me stop doing this, and somebody that says, I don't think I have a problem with that. I don't think it's wrong. I think you're judging me. Those are two different cases. If you have someone that just does not receive, does not receive, stays where they are, stays where they are, avoid that person because the danger is you're, you're going to become like them. You're going to become like them. Uh, the scriptures talk about a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. That's been a kind of a guide for me. To meet with this person, they want to get together, but they're not really, they don't really receive what I have to say, so no, no. Scripture says, answer a fool according to their folly, or they're going to think they're wise. And then it says, don't answer a fool according to their folly. You know, so you have to have a sense from the Spirit. Is he telling me to speak to this person or just ignore this person? What he is telling you, if you have someone, if someone who this is their life and that's where they plan to stay, you just avoid that person. Because in avoiding them, you'll convey to them it's not okay. You are not okay. We don't want to do that because we don't want to be judgmental. We're not being judgmental. We're just letting the word judge them. But when we avoid them, it allows the Holy Spirit to say, you have a problem. When we don't avoid them and we keep reaching out and reaching out and reaching out, we say to them, it's okay. And so that's why God is, is speaking here. He's speaking to them that there are these two men who are creeping into the church. They're targeting the vulnerable. Paul isn't saying like I hope, some, I hope nobody thinks or I hope nobody says that he does. He isn't saying that women are weak and that that's why these men are going in. He's speaking, they're targeting the, vul the vulnerable people, vulnerable people in your area. At that time, women are not educated and so they are more vulnerable because they haven't been trained, they haven't been schooled. Uh, Jewish women, I don't think we're allowed to hear law or be taught law and so they don't know and so that's an easy target. It's an easy target to tell somebody that doesn't know anything, whatever it is you want to tell them. And if you come across like you know things and you're respected, you can have influence. And so they go in there. And these women that they're targeting are women that have, that have sinful pasts that are still burdening them. That's what he says. They're burdened with sin. And so there's a weight on them already. And how do I get rid of this weight? And so they come in and, and it seems like they're compromisers. 
Because Peter will say in 2 Peter, where his chapter really parallels this, Peter will say, they come into your love feast with eyes full of adultery. They've come in, they've come in just to check out the women and see who it is that's vulnerable and who it is that they can target. I mean, that seems to be the false teaching of their day was men that, had, that were, had a sexual agenda and men that had a financial, financial agenda. That's what they're dealing with. And so you watch for these people to come into your church and to target the vulnerable with false teaching. And so, yeah, we're always listening. Pastor Ted and I, we're always listening. I hope you're always listening to what are people talking about or what are people sharing. And when you hear something being shared, it's just wrong. It's not that it's different because we have different convictions about some of the lesser things. But when you hear things that are dangerous, we need you to speak into that so that we know, you know, we know how to protect our body and we know how to protect the truth. He tells us not to worry so much about them because just like these two men, and you don't find these two men in the Bible, legend says they were two of Pharaoh's magicians that pretended to become followers of, of Jehovah and just became a huge pain to Moses. Tradition says that they were behind the, the golden calf and that they were part of always the rebellion were these two men. All we know is they opposed Moses and that their minds were corrupted and that they weren't really genuine believers. They're disqualified. But don't, they didn't get very far in their following plan to all. So that's kind of where we settle down. Don't worry when you're dealing with people. Well, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Don't worry about that. Someday God is going to flush out all that was true. He's going to flush out all that was true. There's a lot of false teaching going on in our day. Not so much this false teaching, but there's a lot of bailing out. You know, I mentioned a couple weeks ago about our brother Josh Harris, who left his wife and then left his faith, apologized to the gay community, and then participated in, in a gay pride parade, which, you know, I, I didn't want to go there. Just a, considers himself not a Christian anymore. Or this week, uh, I was going to say our brother, I hope, uh, one of the songwriters from Hillsong, and a lot of our worship songs are from Hillsong Australia, Marty Sampson, just wrote on Twitter, and he said, I'm genuinely losing my faith, and it doesn't bother me. Like, what bothers me now is nothing. What bothers him? ought to be that he's going to stand before God and find out maybe he was just riding the wave of everybody else at Hillsong. Because you can have a great story about how he got saved, but the proof is in the power. It's not in the word. We, it, to have doubts about Jesus and about the word, that's really normal. Doubts should drive you into the truth. But you know what dawned to me this week? If you don't bring your doubts to the truth, you're going to end up in denial. And that's what we're watching. I have, I have relationships with people that had doubts, but they will not bring them to the truth. I don't get that. If, if, you, if you have doubts, go to the truth and tap into brothers and sisters you know, who, who can defend the truth super well, like Aravi Zacharias you know, or some of these ministries are defending the truth because if you, if you just leave your doubts out there, they are going to lead you to deny. And, and when they lead you to deny you're going to find yourself on the wrong side of, of, the final, of the final judgment. There's a place in Scripture where it says, you know, Paul says, listen, I wrote to you not to associate with immoral people. I did not mean unsaved immoral people. You'd have to leave the world. I did mean people in the church. 
And so he says to them in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, yep, that's not the one I was looking for. That's not the one I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. He says, I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church here to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. That just shatters the way we normally approach things. If you have someone that says, I'm saved, would you stop asking me if I'm saved? And no, I'm not moving out, with my, I'm not moving out from my girlfriends. No, I'm not going to share. No, if that's their heart, then you need to back yourself away. You need to avoid such people. That's how they know that things are not okay. If we say, well, let's get together, let's get together for dinner. Maybe we can talk. You can do that once or twice, but if they don't change, you need to change so that hopefully they change. I mean, that's, that's, how God, that's how God does these things. He calls for us to react his way so that he can accomplish his purpose in somebody's life. Is that awkward? Yeah, it's really awkward. Are they going to tell you that you're, they're judging you, that you're judging them? They are. Are you? No, you're just kind of allowing God to do the judging. You know, you, you got to make sure it's something God has said and, and not just something that's important to you, but you got to let God do the judging. And you just got to speak and, and do what he says and hope that you get to see him do what it is that he wants to do. This is, this is Second Peter, where Peter talks about, the, talks about the end and has some things to say. He says, God isn't late with his promise because people are saying, Jesus isn't coming back. He hasn't come back yet. He says he's not late with his promise. There's some measure lateness. This is from the Message Bible. He's restraining himself on account of you, holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change. He's, he's delaying his coming so that he didn't come back today because all over the world people got saved today. But when the day of judgment does come, it will be unannounced like a thief. The sky will collapse with a thunderous bang, everything disintegrating in a huge confl- conflagration, earth and all its works exposed to scrutiny and judgment. And since everything here today might be well gone tomorrow, Do you see how essential it is to live a holy life? Daily expect the day of God, eager for its arrival. The galaxies will burn up and the elements melt down that day, but we'll hardly notice. We'll be looking the other way. We'll be looking the other way, ready for the promised new heavens and the promised new earth, all landscaped with righteousness. So my dear friends, since this is what you have to look forward to, do your very best to be found living at your best in purity and peace. That's his word to us. Yet yeah, the journey is going to be rough. Do your best. Do your best to live as he needs you to live. Do your best to carry this message out so that when Jesus comes, many, many people are saved. And do your best to relate to people that are trying to throw this away in a way that God can, can get their hearts and get their attention. Hey, we're going to have the worship team come on up. They're going to lead us in a song that just looks to that moment, looks to a revelation moment. But I want to speak to you. I want to speak to those of you who might be here and you might, not, you might not be where you need to be with the Lord Jesus. We talk about people that are saved or people that are born again. That might not be you. I just want to speak out the, the word of the scripture's warning that, that there's going to be a day. It's going to be a day of judgment. It's not going to be a judge, day of judgment of how good you were. It's just going to be where did you stand with Jesus Christ? He was the savior of the world. 
He was the one that God sacrificed for the forgiveness of sins. And he is the one and only sacrifice for sin. And whatever else you're trying to do in hope, hoping that God gives you a pass or, or looks at you, it's not going to work on that day. The scriptures say, as we said, it'll say in John, it'll say in 1 John, whoever believes in the Son has a, is eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son does not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It's going to be a Sunday that God's going to remind you about in eternity. You heard and you had the opportunity to give your life to Christ and be saved. And you did. Welcome. Or you didn't. Goodbye. That's going to be an awful moment. So I just invite you just today in your heart to decide to trust Jesus as your own Savior. Confess you need him to save you. And, and, and then confess that you, do, you, trust, you put your trust in him. It's also a day for you to look at where, where your life is. Is your life reflecting Jesus and his lordship and his, how wonderful he is and how beautiful he is and how powerful he is? Or is, it, is your life reflecting you? You know, is this people that are outside the church? Is it people that are inside the church? Or is it you? Are there areas in this list that the Holy Spirit would say to you, it's you, it's you. And you need to let it, let it go and you need to walk away from it. He may be telling you that person you keep you keep hanging out with, you need to avoid them. To the glory of Jesus, you need to avoid them in hopes that in hopes that Jesus can get their attention because you do. This is a word, every week the word needs to be responded to. But this is a word where the response is right in front of you. To come to Jesus or to come back to Jesus or to let go of people who won't. So Let's stand together and let me just pray and then we're going to be led, <clears throat> we're going to be led in this great song. Lord, your heart is longing <clears throat> for people that are far from you to come to you. So would you let that happen today? I had no plans of getting saved that Sunday when I did. You just kind of woke me up to my need and then convinced me that you had what I needed. Would you do that today so that names are in the book of life forever and ever and ever? so that forever and ever and ever there are people in heaven who talk about this day and some of them are from Cottage Hill. Father, would you help us to be honest enough and humble enough and quiet enough so that you can tell us if this is us, so that you can deal with us who are playing the game and saying the words and singing the songs but not living the life. Would you allow this to be a moment of, of honesty and of humility and just walking with you? Would you show us what's on the line with that? That there's a day for us who know you. There's a day when you are going to torch, torch it all to see what was us and what was you. Just want, just want a church family that's ready for that day and that celebrates that day instead of dreading it. You say, so we don't shrink back when you return. We, we don't want to be those people. And for those who might be in the, in the room who, who belong to you, and there's a major change that needs to take place in their life when they see a list like this, when they know what you say is right and wrong, there's a major change. Maybe they need to move out from a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or maybe they need to say no, or maybe they need to put things away. You have grace and power to enable them to do that. Would you help them make that step? Would you help them be humble enough and open enough 
to allow someone to know about that, that we can walk through that together. Would you let this be a day of transformation, not just a, a day of communication? Yeah, we ask that to your glory, Jesus. Dark cool.
question this morning is, is he worthy of you? Is he worthy of you? You know, is he worthy to you? That's kind of where we're at. If you're on the prayer team, can I have you quickly come on up to the front? Boy, take advantage of the opportunity to have someone pray over you, whether it's to get your walk where it needs to be, whether just to take a burden on the one who's all-powerful. So I'm up front. If you're new to Cottage Hill, I'd love to meet you. I have a Facebook messenger friend. We've had a conversation over Facebook this week. I hope you'll come up so that I can meet you and talk about what we've got for the, for the boys. So, Lord, here we are. Whatever it is you're speaking to us this morning, you are worthy of us laying it down or adding it in. And you are powerful enough to make it happen. I pray for those who are just wrestling, just so discouraged because so many times they've tried. But you are patient enough to try again and powerful enough to let this be the time. And then there are just so many people without Jesus and without life and without hope in this world or with false hope. Would you use us to make a difference? Would you just use us so that next week there are people that are new to the family worshiping with us? As we pray to the glory of your name, amen.